This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 13. How do you write the second book? 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have... Um, Back from the grave. Some, some bad news for you. Um, about... Three weeks ago, we had John Brown on the podcast, uh, and we joked about his cancer. He actually died. We feel really bad about that. But um, Dan did actually animate his corpse. Uh, I don't know if you know I about Dan's... took nec- a male correspondence course yeah. in necromancy. Well, it was about that whole palm thing, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. coated my we hand coded, in magical ink. We coated yeah. John Brown and in magical we, ink. we now have zombie John Brown with us. Hi, zombie. Oh! <laughs> um, well, realize back. anybody who listens to the first five minutes of this podcast is going to be like, "What? <laughs> Their friend died, and they're joking? These, yeah. these people are horrible." Your first writing excuses episode. Hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, the second book. What do we mean by writing the second book? Well. We've talked a lot about, or at least I seem to recall, and so I'm going to pretend that we have talked about it, even if we haven't, um, the idea that your first book is generally the hardest thing you'll ever write, um, and generally the worst thing you'll ever write. That second book, you, you learn so much writing your first book that the second book is a ton easier. So, but let's talk about that second book. What, do you, what did you learn but from your first book to the second book? What can we say to our listeners who are maybe starting their second book? Um, what advice do we have for them? You know, the second book is is mechanically easier, but sometimes it's it's much harder emotionally than the first one. Especially if your first one was well received, because then you start okay. the second one and you think you get very insecure about so it. So you're talking about your second published book. Yeah. See, I yeah. would I would argue that uh, the the second book for the vast majority of people who finish a first book, yeah. the second book is going to be much more difficult because you're going to finish the first book. You're going to have a moment of validation where you were able to say, woohoo, I finished a book. And nobody else cares yet. And I have to start a second book, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though my agent is telling me, or I don't have an agent. I'm just getting, yeah. I'm getting rejection letters from agents. Let, let's split this into two discussions. Let's talk about unpublished, okay. your second novel. Second and book let's ever. talk about releasing your second novel. Okay. Um, we can also talk about this, lots of different directions for the second no- book in a series, um, the options for that. But let's, let's just first talk about when we, I, I've talked about before, I wrote, um, I wrote 13 before I published one. Dan, you wrote, you wrote five before I you published five your six. I wrote five and then six got published. Um, John, what, what number was Servant of a Dark God? Was it your first Two. book? It was your second. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. You think you're better than us? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. I brought you back to life. I can send you back. <laughs> you, oh. no, John, tell us about the process of writing your second book. <laughs> it involved cows. Um, it was the same. I mean, the first book took me forever because I didn't know what the crap I was doing right Mm -hmm. and I had all sorts of stuff in there and there were some brilliant at least I thought lovely moments but it was just a broken book okay so going to the second book I don't know it was just let's let's restart but I still didn't know really Mm -hmm. I mean I knew what I was I knew better what I was doing but I still didn't know what I was doing so I took a number of drafts and so what, what did you know better what did you learn 
Well, the big thing is that my first book didn't really have an ending. Okay. I just it just stopped. And yep. so that was, that was mine problems. also. Yeah. So this one was, oh no, I really have to have a resolution. And in order to have a real resolution, I got to have one main problem that they're trying to solve, a story problem that they can solve. So that was that was my big thing. That's amazing that we all did the yeah. same thing on our first well, novels. Well, and and I I would bet that part of the reason for that is I I, I would imagine that you, that your first was an epic fantasy, John. Mm-hmm. Because I know mine was, and I imagine yeah, Brandon's was. was. And when when you write epic fantasy and it's your very first one, you're thinking way too big. Mm. Way too big for your skills at the time. And so my book, you know, it was essentially part one of like a 20-book epic wonder series that I thought was going to be awesome. And it didn't lead anywhere because yeah. my eyes well, were just way too big. Yeah, and then all with me is that, and if you're developing it over five years... You had mm-hmm. all sorts of crap in there that yeah. it's too much for one. It's the same. It's too much. It's going in five different directions and it's just too much. Yeah. And so the big lesson, one of the big lessons I learned from book one was I need to think a little smaller. I need to find a story within that world and tell that. And so actually my second book was set in that same epic fantasy universe, but it was a more cohesive storyline with a start and an end. Yeah. I, I actually finishing my first book made me say, Wow. I can actually do this. Yeah. That was the biggest thing I learned is it is possible. But the second biggest thing I learned was I got to have a direction for this. Because, you know, my, my first book I ended up, oh, we should end somewhere around here. It's gotten really long. Okay, let's have a battle. Um, that's, that's really literally <laughs> what I did. And the se- second book I said, okay, what is my ending going to be? <clears throat> What is, what is my problem going to be? Um, and it, it, was, it was really a defining moment because now, you know, I, I've talked about this before. I never start a book until I know the ending nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think, that So process. you were discovery writing your way into your outlining process. Yeah, and I think every writer is going to be doing that. People listening to this podcast, yeah. they are going to write their, discover their process as they write. Yeah, the word book uh, <laughs> applies differently for what I was doing. Yes. Um, the, throughout my, throughout my career as a musician, um, I had a difficult time refining things enough to where I felt like they were actually finished or taking a musical idea and exploring it in a long enough form. When I started cartooning, uh, for whatever reason, I had, I had grown out of that and I was able to take an idea and very quickly explore it for you know several weeks and then you know tie it up in a little bow and then take the same characters and move on and do something else and the first time i pulled that off uh i remember looking back at it and thinking hey i finished something and it was the same lesson that i think brandon you had it was the i can do this well okay let's do it again Mm -hmm. um and then i grew into the process of creating larger and larger works until these monstrosities that I'm attempting to illustrate now, which have been running for 18 months. Right. Well, and I think um, another thing you learn is to start doing things intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and our podcast has talked a lot about that concept, but it was, it was something I kind of had to muddle through to myself. I, didn't, I hadn't taken any writing courses when I started writing. I hadn't read any books on writing. I muddled into it, and the second book, I started saying, oh, I intentionally need to do this. I need to have conflict re- resolution, and I need to try to have you know, problems for the characters, and I need to actually intentionally pace it in a certain method. Um, and I think the more 
you write during your beginning years, the more intentionally you learn to do things. I, I didn't become conscious of most of what I was doing until I started recording this podcast <laughs> with you guys in 08. No, I'm serious because I, uh, I didn't have names for you know 90% of the techniques I was using. Um, and it was all in, in that in that sort of a situation, uh, if something goes wrong and you don't have a term for what it is that you're doing, you also lack the ability to fix it. Right. And so I think when you are writing your second book, uh, if you're if you're struggling with it, part of what might help is finding the names for the things that you are doing. It's simple things like mm -hmm. uh, you know POV, third person limited. Uh, voice, character, you know, be able to define those terms so that what you did by reflex the first time around, you can do consciously the second. You, you know, after, after my books and after the short stories that I write and everything, this is interesting. I will, because I feel like I'm still learning. I mean, I'd like to be the maestro right now, but I'm not. Which is amazing for a dead person. It yeah. is. Mm -hmm. It yeah. is. Well, you know, life goes on after, 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 after life, after death. After life has Whatever. not gone on. That's right. I came back as Is that cow. why you guys eat brains? Uh, yes, that's exactly okay. right. That's Good to exactly know. right. So, anyway. but I do, I do a debrief of what did I learn? What have I yet to learn? I do a debrief after every one of these projects. And like the last one I did, I just finished uh, draft three of my second novel and I took a month and I just debriefed everything that I'd learned the last year. And it was, I mean, it was great. I, it was absolutely great. And so book three for me is going to be even better than, than book two was in this series because I was able to go get some more of these terms and solidify a little bit more of my model of how story works. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's go ahead and do our book of the week. Um, John, you had a, had a Dean Koontz book you uh, wanted to talk about. Yeah, you know, Dean Koontz is a lot of oogly boogly, but uh, he, he wrote a, a series of just straight thrillers. Mm -hmm. And the, the and one of them was uh, Intensity or something. I, I can't remember. The, but the last one, or the, or the second one, the best one that I think is called The Good Guy. Here's the setup. A guy's in a bar and... And a, a, a guy comes in. Can I do the setup? Can I do? This? I have to do this. The guy Go comes ahead. in, and uh, and uh, he's he's joking around. And the guy that just came in mistakes the lead character for somebody else. And and at one point in the conversation, he slides this Manila, Manila envelope over and says, "Here's ten thousand. You'll get the other ten when she's gone." And of course, he's 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 stunned. The guy walks out. A few minutes later, another guy comes in, and it's the killer. And so it's, it's an amazing, amazing thriller. It's called The Good Guy by Dean Koontz. All right. And you can download a free copy by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and start a 15-day free trial. Um, give the book a listen and support the podcast. So yeah. thank you. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about writing the second book in a series. 
All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that each of us here have done this in one form or another. Howard, your first book isn't technically even done yet because it's just one big thing. But, you know, I mean, you, you, you have approached uh, yeah. finishing mm-hmm. a cli- uh, storyline. Story yeah. Let's how do we how do you do this? I found, honestly, the hardest book I'd ever written until um, the Wheel of Time book came along, which was which was its own kind of difficulty, was the second of the Mistborn trilogy. Um, that second book was just amazingly hard and i was surprised at how hard it was well you had two challenges there you had uh you had what happens next right and you also had act two right and Mm -hmm. writing act two can be phenomenally difficult because you want it to stand not on its own but you want it to at least stand up for itself and end satisfactorily and that's really difficult to shape yeah well, one, one issue was we, we talked a few weeks ago about, um, about character arcs, the idea that you have this book that you've done, and you've mm-hmm. put these characters through these very interesting arcs, and then you sit down for book two, and you say, wow, did I just do it all? Um, yeah. Is there anything left to well, do? And, and when I sat down to write my first sequel, my model actually was the movie Spider-Man 2. Okay. Uh, not because I wanted to copy its, its specifics, but I thought that that was a brilliant way of taking... A character who in movie one had a very solid arc right. beginning to end and that, you know, it, it seemed closed and yet for number two, they found something new for that character to deal with and a new direction for him to grow in. And I thought that was very well done and I sat down and rewatched it and analyzed it. I think the Dark Knight did this same thing, found a new direction for its hero to go. Okay. Um, John, if you had any, was it, was it difficult to write this second book or was it easier than the first one? Well, it was more difficult because this time I had a deadline. Okay. And so there was a lot of deadline stress. I didn't, I, that was the, the main thing that was just killing me. The, uh, and so it took, it took two major drafts mm-hmm. for me to get it right. But I think it was actually, besides that, it was actually easier for me to write because okay. I'd done this debrief. I knew better what I was doing. I could be more intentional about it. And I started the book saying, I want to do, I had a list of, I want to do this, 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 kind of like what Dan was saying. You know, I want my, I've looked at second books and I've studied a couple of second books in series and I liked this and I liked this and I didn't like that at all. I hated that. I want to do this. And then it was just that creative process of how, what am I going to do? What can, what can I do to do that? And so, you know, and I did this in the first book that, that I want to do a little bit different. And so uh, in that way, it was a little bit easier for me. Okay. Um, Howard, act two. Act two, I I honestly think is the hardest act. Uh, Writing your first essential sequel schlock after you finished your first main storyline. Was it more difficult? Was it easier? What... Um, one of the things that was was difficult for me, and it was uh, following the immediately following the Resident Mad Scientist book. We okay. finished Resident Mad Scientist, and the Fleet Mind has gotten together and saved the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And coming up with a storyline after that that was compelling right. was difficult because you just put the entire galaxy in peril exactly and saved it. Now what? Exactly. Now yeah. what? And and I realized that uh, when the entire galaxy was in peril, uh, we had very few long shots where we see uh, where we see what's actually happening. In fact, I was careful, I think, to draw none of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, did, we didn't have to see, you know, millions of people potentially dying. Um, 
And what that meant is that I was showing the peril in Resident Mad Scientist through the eyes of individual characters. Right. I can take those same individual characters and I can put them in the same amount of peril. There's just not as much necessarily at stake for everybody else. Right. And so I just brought it back down to those characters and asked myself the question, uh, where do I want these people to end up? At the end of this, at the end of this you know, book, I think and the next book yeah. was uh, Emperor Pious Day, which did some other other fascinating sorts of uh, authors' messagey sorts of things, which I'm not going <laughs> to dwell on right now. But I had I had a really good time with some of those characters because I was able to step away from the big galactic crisis and say, well, hey, they're mercenaries. What are they going to do next? Uh, mm-hmm. They saved the galaxy, and now they're expected to still earn their keep. You know. Um Big, I want to I highlight this uh, concept because it seems like Hollywood has a problem with this, which is every sequel needs to be bigger. Yeah. Every sequel needs to be bigger. So Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 2 was awesome. Spider-Man 3, let's add two extra villains. Um, same thing happened you know, with the original um, Batman stories. John Brown and I were talking about this, this earlier. This idea of bigger must mean better. And I think it's a... It's a, it's a problem. It's, 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 it's a false. Falsehood. It's completely mm-hmm. false. Um, stories are good because people you care about yeah. are doing things you care about. And it doesn't mean they have to do bigger things. It just has to have that emotional connection. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say, as an example from, from Howard's comic, um, and I forget the dude's name, but in the mall cop story, there was the big guy who had the Nick, kind of yeah. little love story. Right. <laughs> that was... I think one of the most interesting stories and had one of the coolest payoff moments, even though it was this incredibly small story about a guy who kind of falls in for a girl. Yep. And you don't, you don't need to put the entire galaxy at peril when Every you, can, comic. When you yeah. can get those resonant moments and catch the reader and say, well, you know, I've well, kind of And had if a the thing galaxy is always in peril, you have one of two things happening. You have everybody bored with the danger, mm-hmm. or you have a situation that's just overly tense or overly depressing. Or overly ridiculous. Or overly you know. ridiculous. To, and, you know, and how you, often you, can the universe really be in peril? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I just want to say. Does you, Buffy live there? <laughs> you know, there, there are two different kinds of series. There's the series like. Jim Butcher's um, Dresden Files. Dresden, right? Where it's or or you look at a lot of TV series where it's we're just gonna we love the connection with the characters. We're gonna solve a different problem every week or every book. It's just different. But then there are also series where it builds in. I mean, it, it's it's kind of an epic build. And in those series, you better start smaller. You better not get the elephant with the little pulling a little uh, wagon behind it. You better get the wagon first. Right. And then the elephant, because otherwise you're screwed in those. T- so, so in some of those, you do have to do. It's it, the though. to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. All right, Zombie John Brown, writing prompt. Uh, writing prompt. You have developed some strange thing. Your character has developed some strange thing on his nose. So you got three different things that you could do. Somebody comes up and somebody comes up and says, "I think that's an alien." Or somebody comes up from the occult and says, I think I know what that is. Or it's a love story. It develops into a love story. 
Not with the growth. With somebody <laughs> Maybe else. with the growth. Not with the Don't growth. Limit them. No, the occult the occult one is actually a love story with the growth. The love Boy. story Three with somebody options. else is a uh, You have a problem. Here, I yeah, thought it go. was safe by giving it to someone other than Dan. <laughs> who, by the way, has been reporting this entire podcast with his microphone clipped to the front bill of his baseball cap. So um, To be fair, it's a Star Trek baseball cap. All right. Let's not spread nasty rumors about me. (laughs) You just admitted to wearing a Star Trek baseball cap. Well, as opposed to an actual sports-themed baseball cap. I just want to keep my cred. Ah. His his nerd cred. Yeah. Oh, boy. Ah. Okay. I think um, you're out of excuses. Now go right. I think we're out of excuses at this point. Yes. Yes, we are. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 